thank you for joining again to this podcast, That's a Weird Question. I'm your host, Vijay Menon. Uh, for those who are listening for the first time, well, this is a podcast where we ask all kinds of crazy questions to understand the world around us. We continue to rack our brains to find out answers that may be hiding deep in the dark, either in the darkness of the cosmos or the dark side of our own brains. In the times when the world outside is shut, the only journey one can take is inwards, a journey where you analyze the world around you and the world that we cannot see, but yet it exists and is very much real. And as we go deeper, we realize that the world is so much crazier than we could ever imagine. Things that we take for granted are not so obvious. It's a, it's a mind-blowing universe and a beautiful planet that we live in. And we are an amazing race of animals that has the ability to grasp and understand not just how our body functions or not just how stock markets operate, but the ability to look deeper and beyond that, to know the secrets deep within the stars and the knowledge that is written all over this big black slate board called the cosmos. Have you wondered, looking out in the night sky, gazing at the sky full of stars on a moonless night, among the countless stars sprinkled across the vast ocean of darkness, have you wondered if those stars are moving? Have you wondered if they are different each night, or are they eternal, never changing? Well, that was the question that I asked myself when I looked at the Milky Way galaxy for the first time. Well, at least that was one of the many questions that I asked that day. I didn't want to look away from this magnificent and breathtaking view of the galaxy. And in that moment, I knew that the stars are not static, just like our galaxy is not static. They are in a state of constant motion. But but why is that? What makes them appear to be frozen and unmoving even though in reality they are all fleeting faster than we can imagine. Well, to understand this, uh, consider driving down a highway by the mountain at about 60 kilometers per hour. You will notice that the nearest trees or the telephone poles just whiz past you. But at the same time, the distant mountains seem to hardly move at all. They seem to be anchored almost stationary. The answer to this question not only helps us to understand this particular problem, but also empowers us to know the distance of moons and stars. It brings the cosmos closer to us in ways that we could understand, comprehend and predict. The answer is that both the mountains and the trees are traveling at the same speed, that's 60 kilometers per hour, relative to you. Yet you see the mountains move slower than the trees because of a perspective effect called as the parallax. To understand this, let's do a simple experiment okay, at home. Take a pen or a pencil or a marker or just use your finger. All right? uh, bring it close to your face such that it will be right against your nose. All right? 
Now, just close your left eye and look at the object. Then close the other one and look again. Whoa! It moved, right? Look again. Just do it again. Yes, it, it just seemed like it just moved, right? Now hold the same pen or your finger away from your face as far as your hands could stretch. And do the same experiment. Close one eye and look at the object, then close the other one. It will still appear to wiggle, right? It still moves, but not as much. So, in general, the more distant an object, the less it moves in your field of view. Okay, now let's broaden our horizon and look a little higher, just above the mountains. You'll see stars, those bright, beautiful objects. Also, you should probably stop your car unless you have a death wish. The stars, even the closest ones, are vastly farther away than the mountains. So their motion in our field of view is minuscule. But they are still moving. You know, our own sun, our whole solar system, our whole galaxy is constantly moving. The earth beneath you right now is moving at a speed of 465 meters per second. So basically with every second you have hurtled about half a kilometer in space without breaking a sweat. Now do you want to know how fast are the stars moving? They are moving at a speed of few tens of kilometers per second which is quite fast if you think from a mere earthling perspective. However, that's virtually negligible when considered on a galactic scale. It is we mortal humans who live for mere 70 or 80 years who have a hard time grasping such galactic speed and distances. Okay, uh, so let's just take an example, okay? Let's say we have a person called Punnu and let's give him some 100 years of life and consider a nearby star, Ross 248. And I'm not making this up, there is actually a star called Ross 248. It's located some 10 light years away. Okay, so that star moves through space at a speed of 10 kilometers per second. A quick calculation will tell you that over a period of 100 years, that star would have moved around 30 billion kilometers. Now that is a lot of distance, okay? But remember, that same star is located some 90,000 billion kilometers away. So do you think that a distance of 30 billion would be noticeable by Punnu from an unaided eye from a distance of 90,000 billion kilometers? Uh, we are tuned to understand hours, days or few years or a distance of few miles or kilometers. But we are not very great in understanding the time or distance when it comes to cosmic scales, you know. Our intuitions developed for survival in the wild where we are busy not becoming lunch. <coughs> Continuing to gaze up on this moonless night, I suddenly had another thought, a rather unpleasant thought, that almost made me stiff for a moment. What if something amongst the stars comes straight at us? You know, what if that point of light, that faint tiny dot in the sky, grows bigger 
and bigger and bigger until That's probably what the onlookers heard on February 15, 2013 when over the city of Chelyabinsk, Russia, a 20-meter-wide space rock hurtled into the sky over the city. That's about a size of a house or about as long as a cricket pitch. So the interesting question here is, how hard can a house-sized rock hit? Right? And the short answer is very hard. It could hit really, really hard. And if you happen to be anywhere near it when it hit the earth, you would most certainly die instantly. This space rock was traveling at a speed of 17 kilometers per second. All right? And the fortunate part is that it struck the protective blanket of air around the planet, which did its job and caused the asteroid to explode some 14 miles above the ground. Now, this explosion released the energy equivalent to about 470 kiloton of TNT. In comparison, the first atomic bombs released only about 20 kiloton. So you can imagine the amount of killer energy this small piece of rock had. It would have been a disaster if it had a direct impact on the surface of the Earth. But that doesn't mean that this little space rock didn't have any fun. The shock wave that the explosion generated shook the land. It threw people off their chair and thousands of windows shattered. About 1,600 people got injured and at its most intense, this streaking fireball glowed 30 times brighter than the sun, leaving some people on the ground with skin and retinal burns. One resident some 18 miles from the point of peak brightness lost the skin from the face after being burned by radiation. It's, it's funny how we go about our day not worrying about these things on an everyday basis. Just like we don't worry about the earthquake or the volcanoes. It is our ability to worry about what most near to us like the job interview or the exam the proposal to your girlfriend or the bike trip with a friend. Even though we are a fragile being living on an Earth's crust which is as thick as the skin of the apple, the risk of extinction doesn't cross our mind often. Let's take a quick break here and uh, when we come back, let's try to find out how we missed to see the asteroid over at Chelyabinsk. I mean, this happened only about seven years ago we did have the technology, the resources, and the skills to map the sky. So how did we miss it? That to me is a weird question. All right, uh, welcome back. Before going on the break, we were discussing about asteroids and space rocks that could uh, cause havoc and destruction, uh, just like we saw one at Chelyabinsk, Russia. So yeah, uh, sp things could fall out from the sky and cause panic and destruction, even though the asteroid that hit Chelyabinsk was a small piece of rock and is nothing compared to what's really out there in terms of their size or density or the capacity to destroy planets. In the age 
where we live in, we think we are pretty safe, right? Because we have the top experts and scientists working tirelessly to map out the universe. So, were the scientists and space agencies aware of an asteroid colliding with Earth on Feb 15, 2013? The answer is both yes and a no. You see, the scientists were aware that an asteroid would make a flyby on Feb 15th and they were absolutely certain that there is no chance that this asteroid might be on a collision course with Earth. Although they knew that it would be extremely close to us, closer to us than many of the Earth's artificial satellites, it was clear that there is no danger of a collision and the asteroid was monitored very closely by expert. So the baffling question here is, who screwed up? Why did the asteroid hit when the evidence was against it? Well, the answer is that these poor experts were just taken by surprise. You see, while they were busy observing and reading the tra trajectory of an asteroid called Duende, a completely unrelated object with a significantly different trajectory went completely unnoticed. It hit the Earth the same day as Duende was expected to make a flyby, just a few hours earlier. So yeah, while we knew everything about Duende and it was making the news, it was making headlines, we had absolutely no clue of another asteroid coming straight at us. Asteroids and other space rocks remains one of the biggest existential risks to our species. And while we may not be able to wrap our heads around this thought of some alien object from outer sky being able to wipe out our entire race, that doesn't mean it's not possible. While we may not like to have such unpleasant thoughts, I mean our brains aren't wired to think ahead to a degree that existential risk require us to think, it's nevertheless very possible threat. And if the events at Chelyabinsk has taught us anything, it is to be aware how fragile and how vulnerable our existence is. So as you might have guessed, uh, this episode is all about asteroid and space rock and you know to know how it came to be, to understand its origin and to know how bad it could be for us if it actually hit us. Now, this is going to be a two-part episode uh, where we're going to be trying to answer these deep questions but we're also going to understand you know where are these objects lying on space how far are they why are they even there and what is the nature of these objects what are they made of right so let's take an elementary cruise of our own little solar system and let's ask the question are we prepared for another space rock if not what could actually happen if an actual asteroid hit us because that to me is a weird question. The Milky Way galaxy is extremely huge, huge enough to baffle us. The distance among the stars is so huge that we shrug away its thought. Like Carl Sagan had once said, we are a mode of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The distance even within the galaxies 
are unbelievably huge and it's the brilliance of one species the only species that we are aware of that could figure this out and we have been here for a fraction of a moment on cosmic scales on this cruise we obviously start with mercury venus earth mars jupiter saturn uranus and neptune while i was studying in school pluto was still the ninth planet now as you may be aware pluto is no longer a planet and um, you see i'm not sure how it is now but in our elementary schools when i was studying they never told us about the asteroid belt they never spoke about the earth cloud or the dwarf planets like ceres or aries then there are comets which are a ball of ice and dust particles that orbit the sun like the most famous comet the halley's comet which can be seen every 76 years its next visit won't be until 2062 and i really really hope i'm alive to see that but anyways let's pick up from mars then shall we uh, after mars there are these asteroids that also orbit the sun just like planets uh, there are hundreds and thousands of them most of them travel between the orbits of mars and jupiter in what's called as the asteroid belt then let's see then there are meteoroids which is a small piece of debris in our solar system meteoroids are much smaller than asteroids in fact they are often formed from parts of asteroids that have broken apart and then of course there's our life-giving star and the moons and yeah remember these are ancient objects these planets moons comets and asteroids were formed early in the history of our solar system asteroids formed much closer to the sun where it was too warm for the ice to remain cold and comets formed further away from the sun where ices would not melt the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, it sorts of divides the rocky planet from the gas and the icy giants. And most comets reside in the Kuiper belt, beyond the orbits of Neptune, and in the Oort cloud in the outer solar system. And our sun is a badass. It is so massive and so huge that everything from Mercury to the outer edges of the Oort cloud is within its gravitational bound. Both asteroids and comets orbit the Sun, just like the Earth. But unlike asteroids, which are mainly composed of rock and metals, comets contain a lot of ice, along with rock and hydrocarbons. It's because of this that the comet develops the beautiful tail as they approach the Sun. The same image that has inspired so many artists, thinkers and scientists around the world and without their knowledge we would not have been here and just as a bonus to these comets they may be the reason we have water on earth the kuiper belt is a comet rich area of our solar system that begins near the orbit of neptune and continues beyond pluto the belt's inner edge is about 30 au from the sun that's about 4,500 million kilometers. And there are tens of thousands of icy bodies in this region. They are like these uh, fossil relics of our solar system. And they contain the evidence of our origin. 
but they are very, very far. But even further away is the Oort cloud. The Oort cloud is the most distant region of our solar system, and it is believed to be a giant spherical shell surrounding our solar system like an enormous bubble made of icy pieces of space debris. And this is the source of most comets. The reason we say it's believed is because we don't have a direct observational evidence of this Oort cloud, but we have strong reasons to believe its existence. So now we know, you know, what kind of objects there are in space. But how far are they? I mean, how distant are these objects? So let's take an example. Let's say a beam of light leaves the sun. Okay, it takes about eight minutes to reach the Earth's surface. Okay, and it takes about four and a half hours to reach Neptune. Oh, uh, by the way, the speed of light is three hundred thousand kilometers per second in a vacuum, and that's just fast. Okay, that's really fast, and let's just leave it there. Leave it there for now. After leaving Neptune it takes about three more hours for the light to exit the outer edges of the Kuiper belt. After traveling for one Earth day, the sunlight has already traveled further away than any human-made spacecraft. Yet, it would take another 10 to 28 days before the same sunlight reaches the inner edges of the Earth cloud. Okay, so if from minutes we went to hours, and then we went to days and weeks. And remember, we are traveling at 3,000 kilometers per second without stopping for fuel or food. But yet, it would take almost a year and a half before the, that beam of sunlight passes beyond the outer edges of the Earth cloud. Voyager 1, uh, our pioneer web, uh, spacecraft, has been out there for about 40 years traveling interstellar space and it travels at a speed of about 17 kilometers per second. Now just to compare the fastest car that is Bugatti Chiron Super Sport 300 plus travels at about 490 kilometers per hour. Okay so yeah compared to that Voyager 1 is so much quicker but yet it will take another 300 years for Voyager 1 to reach the Oort cloud. And then it will take about 30,000 years to pass through it. So yeah, it's mind-bogglingly far and vast. Thank you for taking this cosmic tour with me. We will continue this adventure of space travel next week where I hope to see you again. We will be answering a lot of unexplained phenomena and may even meet some aliens along the way. <laughs> so tune in next week where we get to know more. New episodes are dropping every Thursday. Please send in your questions, your thoughts, your feedbacks. I would love to hear from you. This is a journey where we evolve our understanding of the world around us. So if you have a question or a topic you want me to talk about, send it to that's a weird question at gmail.com. You may also connect with me on Instagram at that's a weird question. 
You can listen to this podcast at Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor or wherever you get your podcast. So see you next time. Nature be with you. Thank you.